0: It's time to put principles ahead of politics. This is Sages of the Sun, brought to you by the New York Sun.
1: I'm Caroline Veek, a co-founder and editor of The Sun, and I'm joined by Seth Lipsky, our legendary editor-in-chief. We're here to take you behind the headlines, unblinkered, principled, and straight. Let's get started. This week, we sat down with David Sachs to discuss President Biden's shift on Taiwan. David is a research fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, where his work focuses on U.S.-China relations, U.S.-Taiwan relations, Chinese foreign policy, and cross-strait relations. Mr. Sachs co-authored the Council's task force report on China's Belt and Road Initiative and writes extensively on U.S. policy towards China. Prior to joining CFR, Mr. Sachs worked on political-military affairs at the American Institute in Taiwan, which handles the full breadth of the United States' relationship with Taiwan in the absence of diplomatic relations. So David has just joined us. Welcome, David.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for joining us. Do You wanna just give sort of the group a a brief sense of your background and and then, you know, I understand you're at a Taiwan Watchers Conference now, eager to hear how you're looking at the situation. Is this a meaningful shift is it not what can we expect and how should we be thinking about it
0: yeah yeah sure thanks um so you know i'm a fellow at the council on foreign relations my work focuses on china and taiwan and cross strait relations um you know i come at this um having served at the american institute in taiwan which handles the U.S.-Taiwan relationship in the absence of formal diplomatic ties, where I uh, worked on security issues with with Taiwan. That was my portfolio. But I've written extensively on Taiwan, including a piece for Foreign Affairs last week that discusses um, kind of lessons learned from Ukraine uh, from the Chinese perspective and how China might apply what they're seeing happening in the war in Ukraine to a potential so so that's kind of it I mean obviously people are talking about Biden's Biden's remarks in Tokyo from last weekend and you know what I would say about that is that I to me I would not discount his remarks um, you know this is the third time that he has said something to that effect the first time George Stephanopoulos uh, in the wake of the u.s withdrawal from Afghanistan, then again, uh, when he was asked, you know, uh, in very similar terms, pretty much point blank, whether the United States would defend Taiwan at a CNN town hall. And then again, at his uh, press availability with Prime Minister Kishida over the weekend. So, you know, people will try to chalk it up as a gaffe. And his administration all three times has has sought to walk back his comments and kind of explain them away. But I would just offer up a, a few th- pieces of context. I mean, number one, I think we should remember that President Biden comes to this comes to his presidency with a deep background in foreign affairs and foreign policy. He voted for the Taiwan Relations Act in 1979 as a senator. You know, he, he served on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He's traveled the world, including to Taiwan as a senator. And so this is not somebody without foreign policy experience. So that's the first thing I would offer up um, the second thing I would say is that e- even even with the walkbacks from the administration, when, we, when push comes to shove, if China were to use force against Taiwan, the decision of whether to come to Taiwan's defense is up to one person, and that's the president. And to me, it is now clear where President Biden stands on this question and what his decision would be. And my objection to walking the comments back is I think that at this point, does so confusion among US allies and partners in the region. I think it also contributes to a a picture of dysfunction and of a divide between the President and and his advisors or the rest of his administration. And so I think at this point, uh, it would have been much better to let his comments stand and then figure out how to implement uh, this policy, which to me is the much more pressing issue. So of course, you have US declaratory policy on whether you would come to Taiwan's defense, but then ensuring that we have the capabilities to do so is a a whole nother matter. Um, And I think that having seen where the president is at on this, it now should become much more of a priority in the Department of Defense and elsewhere to ensure that we have the capacity to make good on on that pledge.
1: Fascinating. So, okay, a couple of questions. One, you know, in your view, why are they walking it back? I agree with you. I think he's made it clear multiple times, and and it, and in in remarks, it's not like that's an off the cuff comment. So, given that it's pretty clear where the president, as an individual, lies, why do you think his administration continues to walk it back? And, and what do you think is going on there?
0: Yeah, I mean, so there there is a big debate, um, kind of in in the administration, as well as more broadly in kind of China watching circles and Taiwan watching circles about whether a shift to what Richard Haas and I term strategic clarity would actually provoke a Chinese response that you do not want or that you're trying to, to avoid. And so proponents of of what we term strategic ambiguity say that actually um, shifting to clarity would provoke the Chinese. And so when you hear, for instance, the director of national intelligence, Avril Haines, when she testified maybe a year ago on the Hill, she was asked this question about shifting to, to strategic clarity. And she, she said that the intelligence community's assessment was that it would be escalatory and provocative. So I think there is a view in the administration that essentially we don't want to provoke the Chinese and this is what would do it and I think that they're comfortable assuming that the Chinese believe that we would involve that we would intervene so why do you have to say it say the uh, quiet part out loud that that's their view if I could try to channel it and but so, to me,
1: sorry yeah, would you go ahead as like intentional confusion
0: so um I don't think that they would call it intentional confusion. I think what what they would term it is essentially the Chinese plan for U.S. intervention, the Chinese assume for U.S. intervention. So why do we have to tell them we would intervene? That, that's the proponent of strategic ambiguity. But as, as Richard and I argued, I don't think that strategic ambiguity necessarily deters a much more capable and much more risk tolerant China and I'm not sure that Xi Jinping is sure that the U.S. would intervene on Taiwan's behalf. I think strategic ambiguity served its purpose for four decades uh, with a much weaker China militarily um, and a much stronger United States um, from a from a relative you know, military balance. But I don't think strategic ambiguity is sufficient to to deal with with Xi Jinping. That's and Xi Jinping's China, and that, that's what I would say. And, and I would also say that, you know, President Biden has said this three times now, um, and not once after his remarks were made, has China, you know, done something to really escalate. So at some point, to me, the the people who say, well, this will surely provoke uh, China need to revisit their their assumptions, that's my view. What, what I have a question quickly. Uh, so what's your view on what uh, Blinken said today? Basically, that was a hard walk back, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that the walk backs are actually also counterproductive because there's the danger that you walk back to a place that's actually uh, less than where we were with strategic ambiguity. Because essentially exactly. the definition of strategic ambiguity um for those for those who might not be uh as steeped in this kind of stuff is basically we did the chinese we wouldn't intervene on taiwan's behalf so they had to assume we would and prepare for u.s intervention but the taiwan could not assume that we would intervene under every circumstance so then therefore that they couldn't take certain risks or provoke the Chinese because if we deemed that they were provoking the Chinese, we we might choose to to stand aside. But but the, the reason why I'm saying that is because with strategic ambiguity, there always was the prospect of direct U.S. military intervention. And now some of these walkbacks seem to almost take that off the table and say that, well, we wouldn't intervene directly on Taiwan's behalf. Um, and what I'm thinking of is, is one of the administration walk backs, which was essentially that, um, oh, what he meant was we would provide Taiwanese military hardware, um, duty, right? So I think that-
1: I mean, do you see this as a good cop, bad cop? Is it, is the president on board with the walkbacks, or?
0: You know, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, I don't think that there's a lot of intentionality here. Um, you know, I don't think that this is like, we're being strategically, strategically ambiguous or something like that. I, I don't see the that. the president saying
1: on. like, hey guys, why are you walking back my comments?
0: Well, I think that he should be because I think that it's, it's a mistake to continue to undermine the president of the United States. I mean, to me, like I said at the outset, his words are the most important thing here. And we know where he stands on this issue now. So regardless of a walk back, we know how he would act. That's my view. That's number one. But number two, I'm from the school of thought where a president's words mean something. And so we had, you know, the red line debacle in Syria, uh, in the Obama administration. And I think that We have to be in a position where the words of the president of the United States are taken uh, seriously around the world, and we shouldn't get into the habit of continuing to uh, walk back a president's statements because that's not how you how you deter potential uh, foes.
1: Agreed. So from a, you know, getting to what your point about implementation and what it would take to pull through on the president's comments and intent here you know what can you tell us
0: yeah i mean you know so during the last administration the national defense strategy prioritized china which was a big shift and i think an overdue shift and that's significant for as you know for how the department of defense allocates resources and prioritize prioritizes now there was very interesting testimony again you know maybe a a little under a year ago or so by the assistant secretary of defense eli ratner where he said that the china is the pacing challenge which is a significant term in the pentagon and that taiwan is the pacing scenario so essentially indicating that for the military services And for our uh, planners at Indo-Pacific Command, this is the scenario to prioritize and to uh, throw resources at. And I think that was a, a very strong statement. It did get a lot of attention when he made that statement, and I think that's the right thing. And so what does it mean to identify Taiwan as the pacing scenario? I mean, I, I think that we see, for instance, the, the Marine Corps has a very controversial force design that they've unveiled, but it's essentially kind of island hopping in the Pacific and shooting missiles at, at potential you know, PLA vessels, et cetera. Army is also developing concepts that would allow it to be more agile and more relevant in the Pacific. Um, and, and so is the Air Force, for instance. So those are all good, but they're very nascent concepts. And I think that there's a fear that, well, we can't necessarily wait for those to materialize and bear fruit in 10 years, because we don't know if a conflict comes, when it's going to come, and we could be in a vulnerable period in the next five to seven years. So the the capabilities that I'm thinking of, just to name a few, I mean, our submarine capability is much stronger than China's and China's anti-submarine warfare capability is is still relatively weak. So I would like to see the United States shift more submarines, forward deploy them in Japan and elsewhere in the Pacific. I I think that has to be a priority. You know, missiles are going to be key for this. And so we have to, you know, produce a lot more missiles and also forward deploy those. Coordination with Japan is critical. Um, So talking about contingency planning with the Japanese, getting an understanding of the role that Japan is ready and willing to play in a Taiwan conflict is is very important. And then, of, of course, you know, as I wrote about last week, we have to learn lessons from how Ukraine is beating back a conventionally superior foe in Russia. And Taiwan is learning those lessons. I think there is a sense of urgency in Taiwan at this point. And so we have to work with Taiwan to make sure that they are procuring uh, similar uh, weapons that Ukraine is using, javelins, stingers, drones, and things like that. And Taiwan has to really prioritize an asy- what well, we term an asymmetric defense strategy over buying, um, you know, much more expensive platforms like fighter jets and uh and tanks thank you for listening to this sample of sages of the sun to listen to the whole episode and access our entire catalog go to newyorksun.com that's nysun.com